Brian. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good to see you. Brad, I think you're a pretty fun guy, wherever you are. Yeah, that's great. You guys are fun. Hey, um, it's, uh, it is great to be together this morning. I, too, just want to welcome you. If you're a guest here with us, if you're newer to Brookside, it's our privilege, really, to have you join us uh, together this morning. Um, we're going to be, as Brad said, we're in part two of a series that we began last week, and, and that series is called The Power of Genuine. And um, we're looking at what does it mean to have a, a genuine faith in Jesus Christ, not a weird or a absurd or a, a strange faith, but what does it mean to have an appealing faith? What does it mean to have the kind of faith that's winsome, it's compelling? What does it mean to have the, the kind of faith? What kind of power is behind the genuineness of a faith that really endures the, the test of a trial? What is, that, what is that like? What does that mean? And so we're looking at that in this five-part series. And we know that Peter is the one that wrote this, uh, this book, of this letter, uh, and he wrote it to a group of churches. And he did it some 20 centuries ago, and, and he did it with uh, a, a very specific uh, purpose in mind. Peter knew why he was writing, and he was writing to these churches. Really, they were, they're located in, in what you would think of today as, as modern-day Turkey. And so Peter's writing this letter to them. And, and what I love about 1 Peter, and you're going to see this this morning, is that as Peter writes this letter... He's encouraging us. He's really pushing us to think differently. Um, Peter doesn't want us just to go through life like maybe we normally have. But Peter, we're going to see this morning that he really challenges our perspective. Peter, he wants us to think differently about this life that we're living. A couple of things just to, to note as a, a kind of a flyby review of, of last week. The first one is this, that Peter's writing to a group of churches that are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And so this group that, that would have received this letter with really a lot of joy from Peter, they're, they're in the midst of living in a context where they're understanding what it means to be in the minority as far as being a follower of Jesus Christ, that they're feeling the, the, the pressures of that. Um, this kind of a culture, it, it really though, it, it doesn't land far from where we're at today. Um, when you think about even just the things that you've seen or heard on the news in just the last week, and we hear these things week after week after week, we're living in a day and age, and you see this throughout history, and you see this maybe even more so today, where persecution of followers of Jesus Christ is not a foreign concept to us at all. Um, I read multiple stories this week, just heartbreaking uh, stories. And so these words that Peter is writing, they're very real to us in the day and age in which you and I live. And what Peter's going to do is he's going to say, I want to challenge your perspective as you live in that kind of a world. We know this too about Peter. Peter was the type of person that he wasn't writing about something that he didn't know about. He wasn't in a safe house up in the hills and just sending out emails to these churches. Peter was living in the context of persecution. Uh, Peter felt this. He knew what it, it meant. And so he writes this letter in order to say to these churches, he says, I want to boost your morale. I want to, I want to encourage you. I want you to think differently. I want to spur you on as you endure through these trials that you're facing. I said this last week, um, if you're uh, not a Christian here and you're with us in this series, um, first of all, I just want to say thank you for being here. I'm so glad that you're here for this series because what you're going to find is as we dive into this book, this letter of 1 Peter, you're going to see that we're going to see over and over what is at the core of Christianity? What is the foundation upon which a Christian puts their hope and, 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 and their faith? What is, what is that? What are those key foundational things? I think you're going to be able 
to get, go through this series, and by the end of it, or even during it, you're going to be able to say, even after this morning, I think you'll be able to say, you know what, I can make an educated decision about where I want to put my faith. You're going to hear that from this book of 1 Peter. So last week, and we, we won't spend a lot of time on this, but um, it's crucial to really tell you a little bit about the first 12 verses in review that we looked at last week because the uh, apostle Peter, what he does is he sets up the foundation upon which everything else he says, it's really what he says right out of the bat, right, right out of the chute in, in, this, in this book, it's very foundational to the rest of, of, the, of the letter. And so it's, it's important that we just look at it uh, um, really briefly here. Um, Here's what Peter knows is this. We see it in these first 12 verses. Peter is going to paint a picture for them of who they are in Christ. He's going to help them understand this is your core identity in Christ. And the reason why Peter does this is because he knows in the midst of the trials that they're in, they need to be reminded of who they are because if they have this picture of who they are, it's going to propel them. It's going to allow them to get through these trials and this persecution that they're facing. And so he does this in great detail. Here's just one example of this. This is verse 3. He says, in his great mercy, in God's great mercy, he has given us new birth um, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and, uh, and into, and here it is, an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Um, you could think of it this way. I, um, I was talking to a, a woman in our church this last week and, and uh, after church last Sunday, and she said, you know, I had an experience. She said, I, I go to a local pool for, um, uh, just a, for my workout, and I, I swim laps, and, and she said, I, I, I usually go during the, 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 the adult swim time. And so, and if you've ever gone to the pool to swim laps, you know, man, it's hard on the, it's hard on the body, but it like can kill the mind because it's very boring. And, um, and so she said, you know, I'm, I'm there swimming laps, and there's three or four other people there. And she said, it's just mundane, and it's just, oh, and the, 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 the mood of the room, like no one's talking. You're just there to get it done, you know, just to get your laps in, get your workout in, and, and get, get done. Well, she said, the other day, though, I went during open swim time. And she said it was a completely different experience. She said, I walked in, and there were adults there again, and the adults looked very dutiful like we always do when we're about to swim laps for a period of time. She said, but a little bit after we got going into kind of our normal mundane routine, she said, uh, this mom came in, and this mom had three little children with her. She said she had three little boys and one little girl. You can imagine the ruckus they would cause at the pool, right? And so these kids come into the adjoining pool, and she said all of a sudden the environment of the pool completely changed. These kids were throwing balls. They were laughing. I mean, they were having a blast. Now, here's the thing. When we get to these first 12 verses, here's what it is. Peter says this, you might think that following Christ, you might think that even as Peter said to us, he said, be holy, you might think duty with that. He said, no, 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 it's not that at all. It's delight. It's like when you go to the pool, the reason people go to the pool is to have fun. She said, when I was there and I was, I kind of heard these kids playing, she said, I thought to myself, this is what the pool is supposed to be like. It's supposed to be an absolute blast. And so what Peter does in these first 12 verses is he paints a picture. He says, he says, Christians, this is who you are. And he says, as a result of who you are, this is the experience. This is how you should live for Christ. It should compel you to live boldly for him. It should give you a grand vision of that. And he does this because he knows they're in the face of persecution. And so he tells them who they are. Today we're going to look at just five verses. We're going to start in verse 17 and 
And if you've got your Bible, if you're flipping to it on your phone, you're gonna, it's toward the, the end of the, the, the New Testament. You'll go through the book of Hebrews, and, and then you'll get to James, and then you'll be at First, uh, first Peter. Um, I love, love this book. And there's so much um, I feel like at stake this morning as this book's going to challenge how we think. And so in light of that, in light of the significance of the way Peter's going to write to us this morning, um, would you pray with me before we jump into it? And let's just say, hey, God, we just want to slow down for a minute. And um, Lord, calm our heart a bit. And, and Lord, would you help us uh, to grab the things that you would have for us this morning? So would you pray with me? And, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in our midst. Thank you for what you're doing in this church, Lord. We love to be a part of it. And this morning, Lord, I'm so grateful that you gave us these five, word, these five verses. You gave us these words, I feel like, that can direct us. They can really uh, alter our mindset, Lord. They can help us live with an eternal perspective, Lord. And so, Lord, we just want to cry out to you this morning and say, would you speak to us? Um, you might be here, and this might even be a first prayer for you this morning. But would you just say, wherever you're at with the Lord this morning, would you say, okay, God, I'm here this morning, and I'm asking you, would you speak to me? This is a significant text we're going to look at. So would you say to the Lord, Lord, I'm open. Would you speak to me now? You can do that on your own now. Just say, I'm open, Lord. Would you speak to me now? Father, that's our prayer, and we know we pray that prayer because you honor it. And um, when, when your people, when they pursue you, Lord, we see this in your church, you, you respond to us, and we're grateful for that. And so we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me ask you a, a question to really set up this text. Here it is. Have you ever felt like you didn't belong somewhere? Have you ever had that feeling? Have you ever felt like you were somewhere and you felt like you just didn't belong um, maybe it was a, you were in a new city or it was a new job or maybe it was somewhere you just felt like an outsider. You, maybe you're new to town. Maybe you're feeling that way right now. You felt the, like the newbie. You felt like um, the, the, the person that was maybe the stranger. There were other people surrounding you that they, they knew and they were used to everything that was going on, but you didn't, you don't, you didn't feel that way. Um, they felt comfortable. They felt at home, but you felt like the stranger. I spent two summers overseas in college and in the the first one was in Kazakhstan, and the second one was in Turkey. And if you've done any, any traveling internationally, you know that it doesn't take long to be in another country for you to feel like, wow, I, I miss some of the, the comforts. I miss some of the things uh, that were true of my home. I remember one memory in particular uh, being in Turkey. Uh, the campus that we're staying at was about 30 minutes from the city in which uh, we were working each day. And and so we had to take this bus, and uh, I remember uh, the, the problem with the, the bus and the transportation system in this particular city was the amount of people was exponentially larger than the number of seats on buses, right? The amount of people that needed transportation. And so I remember you'd get onto these buses, and it would just be this wall, just people on top of people. And I don't mean like, you know how like a close talker kind of gets in your space a little bit, and maybe you take a step back? I'm not talking about that. I mean like people were, I mean just touching each other. Like, no, like if you're a space person, you have like a little perimeter that you, like a boundary. That did not exist, right? And so people were sitting on each other's laps on these buses. It wouldn't be uncommon to see people kind of hanging out the windows, just holding on to the side. I mean, just packed into this bus. And, you know, I'm cool with being packed, but there's a stranger sitting on my lap. I don't know, it's a little weird, you know. And, and um, 
And I remember, though, there were times when I would be the only English-speaking person on this bus. And I remember every year people were looking at me differently because I was just different in their culture. And I remember feeling like a stranger. I remember feeling like, wow, they are at home here, but I'm not at home. I'm, I'm different than they are. And what accentuated the fact was that, that I truly was a foreigner. I didn't understand their, uh, their language at all. I felt like a stranger. In today's passage, the Apostle Paul, what he's going to, the Apostle Peter is going to do, he's going to challenge our perspective. He's going to challenge the perspective that you and I live with. And what he's going to do is he's going to say, I want you to think differently. And what we're going to see is he's going to repeat a theme that we see repeated throughout Scripture. And it's this idea that we should live as strangers here on this earth. We should live as strangers here. We should live with this mentality that this is not our home. Your home is elsewhere. You could think of it that way. If you're taking notes, this is our, our main point for this morning. Here it is. Live as a stranger because your home is elsewhere. Live as a stranger because your home is elsewhere. I was talking to a guy this week about this passage, and he said, growing up, my dad used to always say to us, he would say, hey, you guys, you got to know this. As you're growing up, he said, we're just passing through. We're just passing through this life, and then he would say this, there's something better coming. You could think of it this way, live as a stranger here because your ultimate home is elsewhere, and then this statement, because the best is yet to come. The best is yet, is yet to come. In verse 1, or actually in verse 17, uh, Paul's, Peter's going to revisit this concept that he introduced to us at the beginning of the letter. And, and so he said this in, in verse 1. He said, to God's elect, he's, he's addressing the people, and he said, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces. Notice he says, elect exiles. We said last week that, that those two words are, they're, they're packed with meaning. You could think of it this way as the term refugee millionaires. So they're elect, I mean, that's, whoa, that's like, there's so much there. They're, they're millionaires in who they are in Christ, but they're, they're also, they're uh, exiles, they're, they're refugees. And so what Paul's doing is he's going to reiterate now in verse 17 this same concept as he wants us to live as foreigners. And so he says this, this is what he says, he says, live out your time as foreigners here. The actual, the original language uh, says it like this, it's the idea of a temporary residence, a temporary residence. He says, I want you to live out your time here as a sojourner, as this is not your permanent lodging is this mindset that, that Peter wants us to live with. Now, let's just be honest, and I was thinking about this this week. Who in here would want to sign up to be a stranger somewhere? Which one of you would, would sign up? You would say, oh, I would long to, if I had the opportunity, I would just love to be an exile. I'd love to be a permanent refugee. I would love to, to be a permanent tent camper. That there would be nothing better for me. I would love to be not the norm, but the anomaly. Is that appealing to anybody? No, not so much. But Peter's explanation of this, it changes everything. It changes our mindset. Peter's going to push us to say this. He's going to say, I want you to long more for what will be than what currently is. I want you to be forward-thinking in your faith. Let's dive into these five verses. He'll make his point very clear to us. Uh, Peter's going to give us one thing. He's going to say, I, just, I got one thing for you to do this morning. It's just one thing. Verse 17, here it is. He says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, he says, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Live out your time here as, as foreigners in reverent fear. You could think of it like this. When... When you come to know Jesus Christ, okay, 
When you come to know Christ, your identity changes. Verses 1 through 12, Peter's talking all these things that are true about you if you're in Christ. So when you come to know Christ, I mean, it's, it's huge. But he says from that point on, he says, you're a refugee millionaire, meaning this is no longer your home. You're a foreigner here. You're, you're just passing through. And he says, as you're a foreigner, as you're a refugee millionaire passing through, he says, I want you to live in reverent fear because one day you're going home. Your ultimate home is not here. This is a temporary residence for you. Your ultimate home, it is coming. He's painting this picture that he's saying, hey, I want you, and notice his language. He says, I want you to live out your time here. Just live out your time here, but do it as a foreigner and do it in reverent fear. Have a different perspective. When we go to uh, my parents' uh, cabin in the summers for vacation, we usually do that every year, um, we think of it differently than we think of our home. And as a result of us thinking about it differently, we do different things there. We go in with a different mindset. First, we know this about our time at the cabin. It's limited. It's very limited. And so we know that we're going to go there. We're going we're to plan out each day. Even if we're just planning relaxation, we're, we're planning it out. We're very intentional. We're focused. Peter is saying this, I want you to think differently about home. We know the cabin is not home. Peter says, what you call home, he says, I want you to think differently. I want you to think about it as though you are a stranger in the midst. And he says, I want you to do it because you have a future hope. Because the best is yet to come. And for some of you today, you're experiencing different trials and you're thinking, wow, that's the best news I've heard in a long time. The best is yet to come. And so, so what Peter says is, okay, how do you do that though? How do you live as a foreigner? He says it this way. He says, I want you to do it. I want you to live in reverent fear. So what does it mean to live in reverent fear of God? You think he means that you should be scared of God? You think it means that when you think of standing before God one day, it just should make you tremble and shake and you should think, oh man, I, I'm, just so, I'm just so nervous for that day. I'm, I, I'm, I'm petrified of that. Do you think that's what, what he means? In your childhood, you may have been afraid of someone growing up. I can think of that person in my mind. Boom. You probably have one person maybe that, that maybe stands out to you. You were, you were you're a little bit of fear. You were afraid of them growing up. Is that how... Is that how Peter, is that how God wants us to feel about him? Like afraid, like, like scared? Um, I, I don't think so. Jesus would say this to Peter because Peter understood what it meant to be afraid. And so, so Jesus says this to Peter in Matthew chapter 10. He says this, he says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell, Our, are, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? He says, yet one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care, and even the very hairs on your head are numbered. And then he says the opposite. He says, so do not be afraid, for you are worth more than many sparrows. Well, one way to think about this, another way to say it is, is like this. It's God is for you. Jesus is saying in this passage, hey, don't be afraid about this person that, that, that could, um, you know, uh, frustrate your life. Don't, don't be a, afraid of, of a person that could ha uh, dictate the, the span of your life, that kind of thing. He's saying, no, no, no. He's saying, you should fear. Fear the one that's over all of eternity. Jesus is saying, live with a, a bigger perspective. If you're ridiculed, and some of you know what this is like, you're ridiculed for your faith in Jesus Christ, don't fear that someone. God is over them. Instead, Jesus is saying this, fear, or you could say it this way, 
revere or stand in awe or this, give ultimate respect to God himself. Why? Because he's over all of eternity. Highest respect. Tim Keller put it this way. He said, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And then he says, we have that kind of access. Do you see the tension here? Fear is this sense of, oh, it's awe, it's reverence. I mean, how do you treat a king? I mean, you revere the king. You stand back when the king comes, right? But what he's saying this, yeah, but you also, you have access to the king. Why? Because you're a child. And only a child wakes up a king in the middle of the night. But what is true of us? You're a child of the living God. And so you don't walk in such a way that it's just nonchalant, but you walk in reverent fear. You walk in reverent respect of of who God is. And here's why. Peter says it in verse 17. He says this. He says, you call on a father, meaning that God is not distant from you. You call on a father who judges each each person's work impartially. I think one of the reasons why Peter puts this in, in verse 17 is he's just gone through this incredible dialogue with us about who we are in Christ but I don't think he wants us to take it for, uh, for granted. I don't think he wants us to, to all of a sudden have this uh, mindset where we look at the grace of God and we treat it lightly, like we treat non, God nonchalantly, like we go through life and we say, you know what, I'll get to God someday. Because after all, I mean, verses 1 through 12, God is my friend. Uh, God is my father, verse 17. I have this inheritance in heaven that will never sp- spoil or fade and so I'll get to God later. I mean, that's who he is. Peter's saying, whoa, no, 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 no. Don't do that. That would be a misstep. And if you did that, you're going to miss out on the real pool experience. You're going to miss out on what it was intended to be like to walk with God. He says, that would, be a, that would be a misstep. You have a God who judges each man's work impartially. Peter says, keep your eyes on eternity. Live as a foreigner in this world as though you're passing through you know, this week or last week, you probably heard the, or saw the, 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 just the horrific persecution that was recently taken out on these 21 Egyptian Christian men in Libya. Um, the footage of this, beyond words, these men, they're in their early 20s, they were executed because they wouldn't recant their faith in Jesus Christ. Um, they sang, they proclaimed Christ as they were killed. Christina said to me last night, she said, imagine the reunion they had in heaven. What was that like? The media, you know, kind of moved in afterwards and interviewed some of their families. And this 60-year-old woman, the mother of one of these men, <clears throat> she was asked this question. She was, she was asked, what would she do if she ever met the man who beheaded her son? And she said this. She said, I would invite him into my home, and I would ask God to open his eyes because he was the reason my son entered the kingdom of heaven. Now, what a moment. I mean, think about that. Who in the moment of that kind of pain, and if you've seen that or read about that, you know what we're talking about here. But who in that moment expresses some sort of even gratitude? Who in that moment says something like that? It's someone who's living with this mindset, I'm just passing through. My son is experiencing the best. My son is experiencing the best that is yet to come. What a mindset. 
You know, it's, it, I think it's no surprise that when, when persecution over the course of history, what does it lead to often? It leads to spiritual awakenings. Might that happen in our generation, church? We think about that. But what cultivates that type of faith? What cultivates the type of faith where these men would stand there and they would sing praises to Jesus Christ right before they would lose their lives? What is it? What cultivates that? It's what Peter's talking about. It's that they live with this stranger mentality. Peter wants you to leave here today. God wants you to leave here today and think differently about your life. To think that your ultimate home is elsewhere. The best, it's yet to come. That's what that mother was thinking about. The best is yet to come. The Apostle Paul, he said it this way. He said, we're hard-pressed on every side. He said, but not crushed, we're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And he went on to say this. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. He says, for our light and our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do we do now, he says, so we fix our eyes. Not on what is seen, but is what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Oh, Paul's saying, set your eyes on what is to come. These verses in 1 Peter, he's going to go on now in verses 18 through 20, and he's going to do exactly that. He's going to say, this is what you do. This is who you fix your eyes upon. He's saying, I want you to think more about what is to come than what it is. I want you, Peter will say, to get caught up in who Jesus Christ is, because when you do that, you will truly believe as you live through this, 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 our time here on this earth, you will say, you know what, the best is yet to come. And so he says this in verse 18. Peter answers the question, why would I live as a foreigner? Why would you live in reverent fear of God? He says this, for you know that it is not with the perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down uh, to you from your ancestors. Notice that word redeemed. That word redeemed, uh, another way to translate that, maybe in your translation it says that you were ransomed. It means this, that you were, you were bought, you were, you were paid for, you, you were bought with a, a price, a ransom. Jesus Christ stepped into your place. Notice also that it says this, what were, you, what were you ransomed from? He says you were ransomed from the empty way of life. You were, you were ransomed from the empty way, the way in which maybe you used to live. Some of you know this. You pursued a career, and you went hard after it, and you got the promotion that you always wanted, but it didn't deliver at the deep level that you hoped that it would. Some of you have had the experience. You put all your eggs in the relationship basket, and you went after it, and it just didn't deliver. So Peter says, you know, you know what it's like, but you've been redeemed from that. I love this in, in 1 Timothy, it puts it another way, that this idea that we were created for so much more. It says that you may take hold of the life that is truly life. In John 10, Jesus said, I want to tell you about the redeemed life, the fullness of the life that you can experience. Verse 19, he says this, it says, but you were bought, you were redeemed not with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The precious blood of Christ. This is no cash deal. Nobody lost their savings for you. Nobody. It was much more. 
It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ without blemish, meaning this, that Jesus Christ, he lived a perfect life so that he could die a perfect death for you and I. And in verse 20, he says this, he keeps going in an amazing fashion, really. Peter gives us the entirety of the life of Christ. He says this, he says that he was chosen, Jesus Christ, before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. He was chosen before the creation of the world. Peter's saying, this is no surprise that, that Jesus came on the scene, that he died. He said he was chosen before the creation of the world. This is no accident. He's the predicted Messiah, and he came and he did what, he, it's what they said that he would do. And then I love this. He ends this way. He says he was revealed in these last times for your sake. And you could take these two words out this morning and you could put your first name here and your last name there. He was revealed in these last times for, for your sake, um, for you. Incredibly personal this is. The gospel is this. Jesus Christ leaves heaven in order to get you. And Peter says, when you grab that, when that, when that hits you, that the perfect son of God did that, it will change you. It'll make you think, okay, I'm, I'm just passing through. We're just on our way. Our ultimate home is somewhere else. The best is yet to come. And then again, Peter providing this reason why it makes sense to live with that final destination in mind, to live as a stranger. He says this in verse 21. He says, through him, all back to Jesus Christ, he says, That's, fix your eyes on him. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Peter's saying it's, it's forward. He's saying your faith and your hope, it all goes back to this. Your faith and your hope, they're all in God. He's saying live as a stranger. Why? Because you have great faith, you have great hope, and you have it in Jesus Christ. And he's saying when you grab that, when that grabs your heart, you'll be able to say, okay, my son, yeah, you know what I would say to that man? I would say, okay, God, would you open his eyes? God, would you open his eyes so that he might know who you are? It's amazing. It blows my mind what that woman said. This is what it means for you and I, I think, this morning. If you're a student here this morning and you're kind of feeling like a stranger because you're standing up for your values in Christ, I would say to you, at first, I commend you for how you feel. I think that's awesome. It's a good sign for actually your faith. It means a lot. But know this, you're, you're, you're not alone Remember, God is, God is for you. I mean, very clearly in Scripture, God is for you. But remember this too. This is not your home. You are a stranger here. You are just passing through. There is a better day that is coming. When you experience a trial, no matter what stage of life you're in, remember this. Find hope in this this morning. This is not your home. This is not your final resting place. Your home is greater. The best is yet to come. I hope you see the compassion in these verses this morning because, again, remember, Peter's writing this to encourage. Peter sees this group of churches, and he wants them to persevere through trials. And so I hope this morning as you, as you listen to this text, you think about your situation. You might think of work or home. You might think of your marriage. You might think of the trial that maybe that, that you're experiencing right now. And just remember how good or maybe how much you're struggling. Remember that it's temporary. Peter's saying have a forward-looking faith. He's saying, keep your mind not on what is, but what, what will be to come. He's saying that, 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 that what is your ultimate residence, it's going to be the greatest mansion you could possibly build on this earth. It'll, it'll far outweigh any of the things that you could accumulate. 
And if you're searching here this morning and you're saying, I would love to know what would meet the deepest longing of my soul, I would say to you this morning, it's Jesus Christ. Your hope and your faith in him can be strong, and it is great hope. It is not empty hope at all. And so I think Peter would say to us this morning, look ahead. Keep your eyes not on what what is here. Have great hope if you're in the midst, if you're struggling He would say, keep your eyes on what is ahead. You're passing, you're passing through. Don't lose sight of that. I just jotted down three things. I just want to leave these with you very quickly. Three keys to how do you live with this mindset that I'm a foreigner here. The first one is this. How do I live as a stranger? Number one, you focus on what's most important. Think about your schedule, just very practically. What do you give your time to? Are you living like a stranger? convicting question. Number two, you would do this, you'd love people. Remember that this, remember everyone is going to spend eternity somewhere. Everyone. And so I think Peter would say to us this morning, okay, if you really live like a stranger, if you really believe the best is yet to come, you look at people differently because you know everyone will spend eternity somewhere. It's huge. So you love people. You remember this. The greatest legacy you will leave of your life will not be what you own, but it will be who you impact. So you love people. Number three, I think this is it. You live with open hands. Um, I just, I love it when you get to see the church kind of working and, and um, you see how God gives different people. I think that, that you live with open hands, meaning this, you ask God Okay, God, you've given me this time. I am passing through. I've met Christ, and now from here forward, I am a refugee millionaire. My home is somewhere else. I'm passing through. But in the process of passing through, Lord, I live with open hands, and I say, God, what have you given me? God, what are the talents? What's the time, the treasure? What are the things that you've given me? And Lord, how can I use them to further the kingdom of God? How can I live with that kind of a mindset? Above all this morning, remember this. Here it is. Live as strangers because your, t- your, your ultimate home is elsewhere. And then this is, I think, just a summary statement. Of it. Here it is. The best is yet to come. Um, church, find hope in that. Find joy in that. Um, the best is yet to come. Um, let's do this. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for the reminder that the best is yet to come. Lord, thank you for the reminder that one day we will be with you and it will be amazing. And Lord, we pray, Lord, though, that this time that we have between now and them, then as we live in reverent fear of you, as we respect you, as we stand in awe of you, God, we pray that you would lead us. Help us to focus on what's most important. Lord, help us to be the kind of people we live with open hands, God. And Lord, help us to love people. Lord, help us to look around and go, wow, every single person will spend eternity somewhere. And so, God, use me. Lord, we thank you for the precious blood of Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen.